Allah's mercy. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today is the last of the talks in the series about who will have the last word. And as we see in the events of this week, many people had a chance to have their say. The Pharisees had their say, and they made their decision to entrap our Lord Jesus Christ. Judas had his word in choosing money over his Savior. The disciples had their say when they chose their own safety and their own comfort over following Christ until the end. Pontius Pilate had his own say when he chose in giving in to the pressure of the masses instead of doing what he knew to be right. And now is the opportunity for our Lord Jesus Christ to have his last word and he makes his choice as well. The difference between his choice and the choices of those around him is the difference between how man thinks and how God thinks. All of the people I mentioned before, Judas, the Pharisees, Pontius Pilate, even the disciples, how are they acting? They're acting in their own self-interest. What's best for me in this moment? How is Christ deciding what to do? If we remember the words that we heard when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Oh my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. For Christ, His decisions are made based on the will of the Father. How different would our own lives look if we make our decisions based on submitting ourselves to the will of the Father? Yes, sometimes we think about what would God want us to do in a particular situation. But how often do we actually follow through with what we know God would want when it conflicts with our own human desires? Christ lived in perfect obedience to the will of the Father because their wills are aligned. But of course, that's the whole reason why Christ came. St. Paul tells us in one of the readings that we read actually this morning, that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So today, even though it's actually a very hard day for me to, to give a word, because I think to myself, you know, as a, as a priest, I think the, the sermons, the purpose of a sermon is for me to uh, encourage your repentance. For me to encourage you to change something in your life that is going against the will of God. But I think to myself on a, on a day like today, if all the readings, all the hymns, everything we're doing throughout the whole day is not encouraging someone to repentance, what else could be done to encourage somebody to repentance? The church lays out such a beautiful right for us in order to encourage us to reflect on the sacrifice Christ made for us and our sins which were the cause of His suffering. So today if we look at if the sermon of the series sermon was about who will have the last word I thought it was appropriate to look at the first of Christ's 
last words for us to sort of begin to understand what it means, what St. Paul says, to humble himself to the point of death. As Christ is hanging on the cross, we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think it's important for us to sort of set the scene so we have our minds exactly on what's happening. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his deepest agony on the cross, was not thinking about himself, but was preoccupied with the interests of others. He's not thinking about his sufferings, he's not thinking about his pain, he's not thinking about his exhaustion, he's not thinking about his wounds. It wasn't important to him that he had gashes and scourges on his back. It wasn't a priority to Christ that he had nails piercing his hands and feet. It didn't matter to him that he had a crown of thorns or a battered and bruised body. All of that he's willing to ignore because his sole concern is his love for mankind. The first thought to cross his mind was to save his enemies and his persecutors. This is why the first words on the cross are, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This, by the way, was a fulfillment of a part of Isaiah's prophecy about the suffering servant in, his, in the 53rd chapter of his book. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what he's doing. Making intercession for the transgressors. Here he's making intercession for the people working against him. Our Lord Jesus Christ cared for his enemies first before even he cared for his friends or cared for himself. If you think back the words of Christ, the second thing he says is about his mother, taking care of his mother. So before even taking care of his mother, he takes care of his enemies. He offers forgiveness to his persecutors first. Later he forgives the thief who made fun of him, who rebuked him in the beginning, but believed in him later. He was at the peak of torment, the peak of affliction, at the hands of the people who he is asking God to forgive them. His love for them is greater than their hostility towards him. Not only did he pray for them, but he gave them an excuse. He said, they don't know what they're doing. It's hard to imagine the extent of Christ's love in these words. He didn't try to condemn them. He didn't seek revenge. He didn't even just maintain a neutral stance towards his persecutors. Do you remember his disciples one time he got rejected from a city? And the disciples said, Let, can we ask God to rain hail and fire down on the city? Just for rejecting him from the city. Now Christ is being killed. And what is his response? To pray for them, to give them an excuse saying that their sin is only like a sin of ignorance. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in His forgiveness for the people who are persecuting Him, puts into practice His own teachings. Right? During His ministry, He taught, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So in this case, He's performing exactly what He commanded humanity to do. That's an important point. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not give others any commands that He did not Himself observe. He puts into practice, very practical practice, His teaching, love your enemies. It reminds me of the words of St. Paul when he says, 
do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But I want to all ask all of you a question. To whom exactly is Christ referring to when He asks for their forgiveness? Who is the them when He says, forgive them for they do not know what they do? Of course He's praying for the soldiers who are cruelly torturing Him and crucifying Him, preparing to gather, to, to gamble for His clothes. They're simply following orders. And Christ says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He's praying for the crowd who a few minutes ago were verbally assaulting Him from the cross. They're deriding Him, shaking their heads, wagging and mocking Him. And He says, Father, forgive them for they do not what they do. Then there were the religious leaders who out of their own jealousy and their own spiritual blindness conspired with the Roman authorities to kill him. Even these hypocritical leaders, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine the mercy of God that our Lord Jesus Christ would pray for them hung on the cross? It's one of the most powerful images in all the Gospels. But there is actually someone else included in our Lord Jesus Christ's prayer. The them can be extended to all of us. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In a spiritual sense, you were there when Christ was crucified. The entire human race was there at the crucifixion. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ was an event that transcends time. Our Lord Jesus Christ's prayer gives a voice to what Christ was doing on the cross. He was offering Himself to God the Father as a burnt offering. In this moment, He is the high priest asking for the forgiveness of the people and He is the offering itself. This sacrificial act was for all people who had, who had come before Him those who would come after him, just as much as it was for those people who were hearing those words that day. So you and I were there in, when they crucified Christ in this sense. When Christ said, forgive them for they know not what they do, you could say, he says, forgive Adam for his disobedience. Forgive you and I who allowed sin to enter our lives after sin entered the world through Adam's first sin. This is the power of the words that Christ cried from the cross. They were prayed not only for the people who were standing by, but also for us, for all of humanity. Our Lord Jesus Christ offers this prayer not only for the people by the cross that day, but all of us who have ever wronged God. Our Lord Jesus Christ's compassion extends and His mercy extends to all of us. When he prays this prayer from the cross, we discover that there is no sin that we have committed that is unforgivable, except the sin that is without repentance. And there is no person who is unredeemable. It's important, by the way, to note that our Lord Jesus Christ's prayer, Father, forgive them, does not mean that automatically all of them were forgiven unilaterally, without repentance, without faith. It means that Christ is willing to forgive them.
Forgiveness, of course, is the reason why Christ was on the cross. The words, Father, forgive them, show the merciful heart of God. The part of the statement, for they know not what they do, implies that Christ knows these people, He knows their hearts, He knows their plans. Actually, for us, it's an invitation for us to take a step back when we are wronged. Consider another person's story. Have compassion on them. To understand that most of the times that we are wronged, it is out of a suffering or a pain or an ignorance of the person who has wronged us. If while we're praying here on Good Friday or at any time you recall these words, you should say to yourself, I'm going to do exactly what Christ did for all the people who harass me, who hate me, who persecute me, who mistreat me. I ask God to forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And in this way, when we do that, we partake with Christ in His work of mercy and His work of compassion and love. What good is it for us if Christ has forgiven His enemies while you still hate your own or you don't pardon them? What benefit do you gain? What do you gain when your immeasurable debt is paid while you hold minor grievances against your fellow man? In other words, you don't take any part with Christ in His compassion. You don't partake in His work. You don't follow His path. Christ warned us about this in a parable. He tells us of a parable of a man who owed a large sum of money to his master. And when he had no way to pay him, he begged him for forgiveness, begged him not to put him to jail. And the master forgave him and he erased the debt. And after he was free, he took a friend that owed him like 1% of that amount. And he took him to court over that debt. What did the master do when he found out? He said, shouldn't you have shown compassion knowing how much you've been forgiven? We need to know also that when Christ forgave us, it was so that we can forgive others. To enjoy the blessings of forgiveness as it's given to us and given by us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These words are in the embodiment of ultimate love, ultimate forgiveness. In order to sort of grasp their significance, apply them to your own situation. You may have a hard time to forgive a person who maybe gives you a difficult time, someone who lies to you, someone who might have stolen something from you. But imagine a person would charge you falsely, convict you unjustly, instigate both the people and the authorities against you, mock you, insult you, go about scourging you, hanging you, forcing nails into your hands and feet. And regardless of all of that, while you're in the peak of your agony and torment, you forgive them and you pray for them. And that attitude requires some sort of love which is supernatural, something divine. Many people 
were converted to Christianity by experiencing the reality of this verse. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. In other words, there have been people who have been converted because they recognize that they were at one time overpowered by their sins, overcome by their bondage to the devil. Understanding now that they had a weakness of will and ignorance. And in those moments, they felt compassion on them when they returned to God. They felt that God was willing to forgive and to forget all of the evil that they did against Him. As St. Paul says in his chapter about love, love does not seek its own. His only desire is to let you know that you need His forgiveness. Isn't this why our Lord Jesus Christ was incarnate? Wasn't it because He wanted to forgive the sins of the people? Why did He, like we said a few minutes ago, take the form of a servant coming in the likeness of man? Wasn't it because He wanted them to be forgiven? Why did He bear our sins? Why was He condemned to death on the cross? That was all for one purpose. To give us forgiveness. And so as we contemplate on the sacrifice that God made for us today, we are overcome by two things. We are overcome with gratitude that Christ offers us forgiveness. And we are resolved to offer the same forgiveness to others. Who has wronged you more than Judas wronged Christ? Who has abandoned you in your time of need more or in a worse way than the disciples abandoned Christ? Who has lied to get you in trouble worse than the false witnesses testifying against Christ? And Christ in the midst of His agony says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. In these next few hours, let's contemplate on the sins that we've committed against God. Both the willful sins and the sins of ignorance. May God forgive us for the sins which we commit against Him and may He help us to sow within ourselves the virtue of forgiveness and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.